YourTango.com Five ways to be true to yourself sexually. If you haven't heard of erotic integrity, you are missing out. Being true to yourself sexually is about being in integrity with your eroticism. It's about knowing who you truly are as a sexual being, embracing it, living it authentically. It's called, you guessed it, erotic integrity. It's a journey. It's not black and white. You're in, you're out, you're good, you're bad, and it's an inside job. In other words, you decide whether you're being true to yourself. And the good news is, you can't possibly do it wrong. And when it comes to sex, here's how to be 100% true to yourself. 1. Ask yourself questions you may never have asked yourself before, either because you didn't have any reason to or because you complied with the predominant cultural model and had no impetus to question your sexuality. That's the first thing I do with my sex therapy clients. Who are you erotically? Is your sexual orientation truly examined and fully expressed? Are you gay slash bi slash hetero slash gender and sexual diversity? Remember that you can have gay fantasies but not act on them. Remember that you can have heterosexual fantasies but not act on them too. What does that make you? You decide. Nobody else gets to put a label on you. What truly turns you on? Not turned on not turned on by receiving oral sex, but you love kissing? Not turned on by kissing, but you love receiving oral sex? That's okay. They're all okay. You're allowed. Have you explored your turn-on sufficiently? Two, figure out if monogamy is the best fit for you. Are you monogamous because it's what your partner expects or assumes you are? If you find yourself wanting to branch out and be sexual with others, there may be many different motivations. Is it because you don't know how to tell your lover what you need? For the non-monogamous, is it because you don't know how to tell your lovers what you need and what you want? Are you bisexual in a gay relationship? Is the forbidden tantalizing? And are you turned on by the rush of breaking the rules? Do you feel out of control with your extracurricular sexual activity? Or the best way to put it, sextracurricular activity? Do you not have the stomach for real intimacy and it's easier to have hit and run sex with strangers? If you're non-monogamous, ask yourself whether you come to it from the best in yourself or the worst. In other words, out of fullness or emptiness, is your primary relationship so perfect, so dialed in that outside partners enhance it? Are you playing it safe by having backup lovers in case it falls apart? Backup lovers backing it up. Yes, I have a dirty mind. And if you're monogamous, is it because it's safer and you have an illusion of security with one partner? Or is it because you know deep down that this is the best relationship lifestyle for you? Being true to yourself is also about knowing which relationship format works best for you and being honest with yourself about why. Number three, recognize that self-acceptance is about loving yourself. Do you fully express yourself erotically? Do you fully express yourself erotically? Erotically? In the world or with your lover and or lovers? Are you comfortable in your own skin? How do you feel about your body? Sometimes doubt about our appearance can cause us to hold ourselves back in bed and outside of bed because the bed is not the only sexual setting. You heard me say that before, but I'm going to keep saying it every time I talk about sex in the podcast episodes. A great lover is an enthusiastic one. Woo! Not one whose asses slash titties, breasts, if you will, slash waist, hips are the perfect sizes. Do you accept your sexual wiring? 
Are you able to embrace your turn-ons? If you're turned on by being spanked, hots, hots, having your ears slash anus slash titties slash boobs, if you will, again, licked. Is that okay with you? I often tell my clients, stand on your own two feet and take your pussy in your own hands. In other words, own it. Four, find out what your vulva looks like. Yes, really. One of my pet peeves is that people are constantly confusing the vulva with the vagina. The vulva is on the outside. That's the two sets of lips. However, they're configured. Frilly, straight, long, short, pink, brown, and everything in between. The vagina is on the inside. Unless you have a flashlight and a speculum and you're hanging out with any sprinkle or you work as a gynecologist, you won't be seeing a lot of vaginas. You won't be seeing a lot of pussies? Wow. If you are in a department store and there's an announcement from Lost and found about a misplaced vulva, would you be able to go and recognize yours? If not, grab a mirror right now and take a look, see. <laughs> That's part of being an erotic integrity. And whether you call it a pussy, a hoo-ha, a cooch, or a cock pocket, dick pocket, sorry, the, the whole dicks and pants pockets. <laughs> yes, I do have a dirty mind, I tell you. Know the proper terms, please. Five, understand that self-actualization is about how authentically you live your life sexually and otherwise. What needs to happen for you to fully embrace what is erotically true for you? Are you waiting for someone to give you permission? Who? Your mom? Your lover? The media? What gets in the way of your full self-expression? Are you living an authentic life in bed and outside of bed and otherwise? What is missing for you? What is MIA for you? What is AWOL for you? What chart, what changes might you be called upon to make in order to be fully true to yourself sexually? Examining all this can take you from shame to self-honoring, sadness to joy, dread to relief, contraction to juiciness, and from self-loathing to self-love. When you're being true to yourself sexually, it has a profound effect on how you show up with others and how you impact them. It affects how you carry yourself in the world, not just when you're naked and turned on, when you're in erotic integrity, you feel confident in bed and outside of bed and in life. Women, food, body, image, and libido. How often do you think about food? Shame and self-loathing are often part of the relationship with food. Do you think about what you want to eat that you shouldn't because it might make you fat? Do you bargain with yourself, adding up calories in your head, then repenting with the promise of a salad? Moreover, how often do you think about your body? And truth be told, how often do you think about your body positively? The vast majority of American women have a poor body image, and the positive view of the rest is hard-earned and sometimes only sporadic. We all have fat days and skinny days. That's why we own fat jeans and skinny jeans. Hormones play their part in that fluctuation. But what I'm really talking about is that deep self-loathing we'd rather deny. So we medicate that self-rejection with food, which in turn keeps us, which in turn keeps us in the, sh- in the shame loop. 
But it's not about the food we put in our mouths. How much you can hate yourself is not contingent on how many donuts you eat. Women turn to food when we are hungry for something that we can't identify. Women may turn to the familiar comfort of food when we want to feel loved. I don't have a beloved, but this ice cream will do for now. Or to medicate the hurt of not feeling heard or seen or wanted sometimes since childhood. Women turn to food when we feel unworthy or unsafe. Many women who are significantly overweight have unconsciously created a barrier of protection against the world or men. But it's only an illusion of protection. Boundaries protect you, not food. Counting calories and exercising out of self-rejection. I'll be more lovable with a firm ass rather than self-love because exercise makes us happy. Has more to do with pain than with health. It has to do with a history of neglect, sexual or physical abuse, unreleased anger, grief. A not a nurse friend of mine who works for a plastic surgeon tells of women who shrink away from their before pictures and of the disconnect between the cutting, cauterizing, muscle separating pain, the ultimate temporariness of breast implants to the implants, the scarring of tummy tucks, belly tucks, and the illusion that we will be loved for how we look. I'm finding that one of the best kept secrets of aging is that it correlates closely with self-acceptance. Weight is the symptom, not the problem. When we overeat consistently, feeling feeling out of control, or when we starve ourselves, it's abusive. We do it because it's the best we know to do. We deserve better. The path to moving beyond all this is identifying what the pain is and acknowledging it. Freedom from self-loathing and shame comes from identifying our faulty beliefs that are ultimately about the fear of a lack of connection to self and others. When we don't feel loved or worthy, we feel alienated, and that's what we create. But once we can grieve, be compassionate with ourselves, and stop defining ourselves by our cellulite or the number on the scale, you can be more present with ourselves rather than hunt, rather than hurting about the past or torturing ourselves about the future. If we feel out of control with food, it is making decisions for us and our focus on it consumes and distracts us. The antidote to shame is empathy for our having the unattainable expectations of who we think we are supposed to be. We must try being gentle and kind to ourselves. When we don't feel good about our bodies, it's hard to let ourselves show up. Ourself, not just our body. To be fully seen in a romantic relationship, emotionally and physically. That is intimacy. Into me, you see. It's not just the sexy bits. When we're stuffing feelings, we're generally suppressing sexual feelings too. Many couples of sexual issues around desire tie into one of both partners not feeling good about their body. I'm talking about people who insist on having sex in the dark so that their body won't be visible, who rush through the event as quickly as possible to get it over with because it's so uncomfortable to have their partner so physically close. Or others just avoid the whole thing, claiming some ailment or do their best to criticize their mate in the hope that they will back off. Then there's having an orgasm with our eyes open and really letting ourselves be seen. That is available to us regardless of the shape and size of our body. To have a sense of love and belonging, we have to believe we are worthy of it. We have to stretch into self-acceptance. We have to have the courage to be imperfect. To go out into the world with all our flaws and embrace them as well as those of others. We have to surround ourselves with people who love us unconditionally. We need to get physical exercise to get out of our head and into our body and to love that body. Ladies, 
Have compassion for one another as well as yourselves. Be authentic, not who you think you should be. That is the path to heartfelt connection. And connection is what we all want. The inner critic is you. The good news is that you and only you have the power to change that critical voice. Embrace your vulnerability. That is your greatest beauty. All right. Sexual self-esteem. I've done this article before, but I got to do it one more time. Sexual self-esteem, a short course. Sexual self-esteem affects every sexual choice you make. Who you choose to have sex with and when, whether you limit yourself sexually and how, and whether you choose to use protection or not, by Gila Shapiro, contributor, psychotherapist, certified sex therapist. July 20th, 2016, 1.08 p.m. Updated July 21st, 2017. HuffingtonPost.com. Like all living beings, we are inherently sexual beings. Our sexuality is rooted in how we understand and define ourselves, how we perceive others, and how we see the world. Sexuality is a multidimensional, complex mix of physiological, interpersonal, cultural, and emotional and psychological factors. It's important for us to, do, to reflect on all these aspects of ourselves and the role they play. As the relationship we have with our sexuality reflects our sexual self-esteem. And just as we talk about the value of developing healthy self-esteem, so too should we be paying attention to developing a healthy sexual self-esteem. As a sex therapist, this is one of the things that I am often... As a sex therapist, this is one of the things that I am most often asked about. So here are some key aspects to sexual self-esteem that in my experience are worth exploring. When I talk about sexual self-esteem, I'm referring to the feelings you have about your body and your confidence level and how you relate intimately to someone else. It's what you bring of yourself, both emotionally and physically, to sex and relationships, what you do with that and how you share that with someone else. Sexual self-esteem affects every sexual choice you make, who you choose to have sex with and when, whether you limit yourself sexually and how, whether you choose to use protection or not. One, feelings about your body. How you feel about your body affects your ability to express yourself sexually. Our bodies house our sexuality. It is through the body, essentially, that sexuality finds expression. So being aware of just how we feel about our bodies is revealing. A client once described her anxiety about how her stomach looked when she sat on top of her partner. She shared that she would either suck in her stomach or try to reposition herself so that it appeared flat. The focus on her stomach took her out of the sexual moment. Instead of the pleasure and connection she wanted with her partner, she instead felt like a sex leader to her sexual experience. Her partner sensed that she was disconnected and interpreted it as a lack of attraction to him and a lack of interest in sex. As a result, both gradually stopped initiating sex and they began to lose their sexual connection. So clearly, our internal voice about our body echoes loudly. Of course, the way we see our body is highly influenced by magazines, billboards, TV, and web ads that often offer us idealized images of what our bodies should look like even though these images have little relationship to what most of us actually do look like here's what can help do a body scan it's worth taking time to reflect on how you feel about your body every part of it think about what parts you like and dislike are there parts that you feel ashamed of Reflect on all of it as a lack of confidence can show up in subtle ways. Don't forget your genitals. How do you feel about them? My experience as a sex therapist has shown me how influenced people are today by the mainstreaming of porn so that people compare themselves to what they see, comparing labia, breast titties, penis size, dick size, cock size. Is this something you do? And then ask yourself, 
Who gets to decide how you feel about your body? Cosmopolitan, your coworker, the stranger at the gym? Who owns your body? Does that billboard you drive past every day challenge your self-acceptance? This kind of self-awareness gives you the opportunity to think about these fixed ideas you may have about your body and with that, begin to do things differently. Two, your sexual narrative, the stories we have and hold on to. We all have sexual stories that begin in early childhood, and these stories influence our later sexuality. The stories come out of the way sex was spoken about or not in the family, the religious or cultural ideas about sex in communities, how your caregivers felt about their bodies and showed affection to one another, the experience of touch, first experiences of masturbation, etc. Some sexual stories generate feeling some sexual stories generate feelings such as shame, guilt, and anxiety. Is this how it feels for you? Here's what can help. Get to know your sexual story. Did you talk about sex in your family or community? When you were growing up, what attitude was communicated to you about the different parts of your body? For example, when you were a baby and naming parts, eye, nose, etc., were your genitals giving a cute name or simply called privates and were you told that they were not to be spoken about or touched? What kind of relationship could you expect to have with a nameless, often ignored, or just shameful body part? What kind of effect did these experiences have on you? Form new narratives. Challenge your ideas and beliefs about your sexuality. Do they continue to work for you? Are they helpful? Becoming aware of what has influenced you gives you the power to develop new ways to tell your sexual story. Three, communication. Communication is the foundation of a great sex life. We spend a lot of time worrying about technique. We read books and magazine articles that promise all sorts of results. If only you do this or that. And then we spend most of our time in bed worrying about whether we remembered the right move. People come into my office and ask how they can improve technique. My response is to say that they shouldn't worry about what they think their partner thinks of their sexual skills. and should rather just communicate. Talk to your partner. Ask, does what I'm doing feel good? Or say, I like it when you do. I like it when you do. Does what I'm doing feel good? Because we are unique individuals, each of us has a unique sense of what feels good for us. So you won't know for sure unless you ask. And don't assume that your partner will know what feels good for you either. You need to communicate what you like or what turns you on. Your primary sexual relationship is with yourself. It is not your partner's responsibility to know what feels good for you. Here's what can help. Reflect on your feelings about sharing your sexual preferences. How do you feel about communicating what you like or want? Do you judge yourself for what you like? Withholding that information can certainly lead to a dissatisfying sexual experience. You may feel more vulnerable talking about sex in bed and outside of bed. So it's worth having conversations inside the bedroom. Repeat. And when you do, be sure to make eye contact. Listen without judgment. Acknowledge what your partner is saying. And if you're not sure of something, ask. Um... Lastly, um, four, sex and meaning. Sex means different things to different people. Lastly, there's sex and meaning. What does sex mean to you? Sex itself is just a body part doing something to another body part. Perhaps it's a finger doing something to an anus or lips doing something or a tongue. Maybe it's just a dick into a pussy, penis into a vagina. There's no intrinsic meaning to these actions. Just the physical mechanism of movement. But as humans, we are meaning makers. We make meaning out of everything. We attach a lot of meaning, particularly to sex. Sex can mean power, connection, physical pleasure, a declaration that we're now a couple. It could be a bargaining point or the symbol of a contract. In short, it can mean as many different things as there are people in the world. 
And so, of course, sex can mean completely different things to the two people in a relationship, and people rarely discuss their respective meanings. For example, a client of mine eager to be in a committed relationship usually had sex with men on the second date. She often didn't hear back from the men she had just slept with, and this confused her. For her, sex was an expression of emotional intimacy, and she assumed it was for her partner as well. It often feels too difficult or simply doesn't occur to a couple to discuss what sex means to each of them before having it. Here's what can help. Take a moment to think about what sex means to you. Be clear with both yourself and a partner before a sexual encounter about just what exactly you're about to do means to both of you. It's okay to have different meanings. It's just helpful to have the information in order to make a clear sexual decision. What I've offered you here are some key points to consider and reflect on. They are the fundamental ideas that repeatedly show up in my work with clients. I encourage you to use them to really think about the way you relate to your body, your internal dialogue about sex, and how you express your sexual needs. The more self-acceptance you have about your sexuality, the whole thing, every stretch mark, dimple, and saggy asses, and saggy buttocks, and saggy glutes, every fantasy and desire, the more engaged your sexual experience and sexual satisfaction. Let me make my comments here. My part, my women partners and I, we have healthy sexual self-esteem. There's no body shaming. Everything shared about our sex lives is okay with both of us. That's something we want to do. And that's something we feel that we need to do. And so everything I share sexually, they know. And everything they share sexually, I know. We tell the right people. In fact, we tell the world because we're that holistic about our sex and sexuality. We are sexually whole, sexually fulfilled, sexually contented, sexually satisfied, sexually excited, and sexually euphoric. We're on sex and sexuality cloud nine. Seventh sexy heaven, if you want to call it that. So, no, we praise each other's bodies, each other's um, sexual personalities and sexual temperaments and each other's um, all-around dispositions and makeups of who we are, how we're wired and how we're built as, as human beings. So, those are the things that we do that I really want to let you know about. I got some more. I got one last article for you to read, for us to read together in this episode. What is erotic authenticity? There has been a lot of confusion about the real meaning of the term eroticism. The word is often shrouded with a vague sense of being a watered down way of talking about sex or sexuality. Eroticism includes sex, yet encompasses much more than sex. We all have an erotic nature that wants to be expressed in joy, pleasure, and creativity, and that erotic self is a deeply personal and full expression of our unique individuality. One of my favorite essays on this topic and an absolute classic must-read is Audre Lorde's Excuse me, the erotic is power, she says. The erotic is a measure between the beginnings of our sense of self and the chaos of our strongest feelings. It is an internal sense of satisfaction to which, one, we have experienced it. We know we can aspire. 
for having experienced the fullness of this depth of feeling and recognizing its power and honor and self-respect we can require no less of ourselves. I believe that when we suppress our erotic self or make choices that go against what is true and authentic for our own erotic nature, we create unnecessary chaos that takes away from ourselves. I work to help my clients come home to themselves and to learn to express their sexual and erotic selves fully and authentically. Many people have never experienced this and therefore do not know what this looks like. But as Lorde says, once you have, you know its power and you must demand it of yourself. I have seen many patterns in the ways that people get disconnected from their own erotic selves. One of the biggest frustrations I hear from women is that they feel unable to fully express their erotic selves or experience their sexuality wholly because they fear judgment. They are fitting into a compulsory role or they are working to please others rather than do what pleases themselves when those two are in conflict. Often, they actually fear their own erotic nature so that they don't even know how to relate to it. Many people never ask themselves questions about their erotic self in order to explore. Understand and help it express itself. I believe that to become fully sexually empowered, we must explore our erotic nature and stop making assumptions about what it is or what it wants or what it needs. We must stop judging ourselves by telling ourselves what we should be, in quotations. Andre, Audre Lorde said, when I speak of the erotic, then I speak of it as an assertion of the life force of women, of that creative energy empowered. And if the erotic is our life force, there's so many ways we experience the core of that energetic life force that keeps us in a place of joy. That erotic energy helps us to live in pleasure and desire, full hearts bursting forward to meet life where it meets us, like waves to shore, allowing our tenderness to create strength in who we are in the world and in our relationships, fueling our creativity to do what it is here to do, express itself. So what does it mean to be erotically authentic? It means all of that. It means stopping the harmful pattern of doing things that do not feel right to you because you want to take care of other people or avoid hurting their feelings. It means asking yourself lots of questions and answering them honestly so you can create the sexual and creative life you want and stop basing your sexual self-expression on the roles you were told to play. And you will have to ask those questions of yourself many, many times in your life because your sexuality is dynamic evolving and changing so your answers and your priorities will shift as you grow and as your life changes you are here to be the authentic erotic creature you are you're not here to be someone else's idea of erotically powerful or to express a false version of your erotic power because it pleases someone else when you choose to live someone else's version of the erotic you are leaving yourself again Erotic authenticity is anything but simple, and its complexity is a part of what makes us so exciting. There are so many layers for you to delve into and expose. It's what you do with your fantasies, your self-expression, your creativity, your connection, your dreams, your desire, your boundaries, your exploration, your playfulness, your hotness. I want the hot stuff maybe this evening, or hot stuff maybe tonight. <laughs> It's how the way <laughs> it's how the ways of your own aerotenticity lap the shores of potentiality and being. Uh, <laughs> you gotta have fun when you do your episodes. I can't just read to you and not laugh ever. Ugh. Ugh. So, that's pretty much everything I wanted to read to you all. Oh, yes, my partners and I, we are erotically authentic. And my partners and I, we are sexually authentic, too. 
So we are true to ourselves sexually and my partners and I value erotic integrity.